You never knew. Never knew. That was his power. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Back now and here we go again. Spread the words, we the shorty tell a friend. The game changed, but I'm here to break a ten. Them boys play, but I'm here to make amends. Real talk. Welcome back to the Relatively Speaking Podcast. You are listening to episode 122, being recorded on Tuesday night, November 28th. I'm your host, Jared Mintz, and joining me today is legit, 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 one of my favorite people I've ever worked with. This man was actually the first person I ever podcasted with, and it's always been a dream of mine to host him on my own pod one day. Today's that day. He's a social media guru for Bleacher Report, and the former podcast host slash editor extraordinaire for Bro Jackson. Welcome to the show, Varun Bose. Varun, long time since we've done one of these. What's new in your world? That is the, uh, that's the most wonderful introduction I've ever had. And I'm not just saying that because this is the only podcast I've been asked to speak on. <laughs> uh, but that is really one of the nicest introductions. Um, it has been a long time. Uh, it feels like yesterday that we used to do these all the time. And I honestly haven't done a podcast since then, so I'm truly honored to be on your show, and, and thank you for having me. Dude, it's absolutely my pleasure. You know, I feel like I learned a lot about podcasting from you, from doing this with you. I apologize now because I'm sure when we did these to begin with, I was terrible, but I was a consistent writer, and you guys needed to have a basketball writer on the podcast. So you got Jared and all of his um and eh and all the weird noises I'd make in between speaking days, but I'm a bit more refined these days, and uh, I owe a lot of that to you, so thank you. Yeah, I'm definitely worse. So <laughs> you'll get a lot of um, the ease and as from me as well, so I apologize. I hope that doesn't turn off the listeners, but uh, no, I mean, you know, even back in the day, you, you had some of the best NBA takes I heard or I knew of, and even to this day, I follow your Twitter account, and, and you still have some great stuff to offer, so I hope I can... I can live up to the standards that you set, and I hope I can add some uh, flavor to the show. Awesome. We got a real bro love fest going on here. It makes me happy. It's a little bro Jackson reunion, but let, let's get into it. We, we are on a bit of a limited time frame tonight. I could probably keep you for hours upon hours, and I don't want to do that to you. So let's get started the way I like to get my show started, and that's by doing five rapid-fire questions to help our listenership get familiar with today's guest. Varun, you told me you were down to do this before we started recording. You still cool with it? Yeah, I, I I get a little nervous with the not being able to prepare, but let's do it. Let's go. It's better that way. Question number one, Varun. What is your go-to GIF slash meme? Or if you want to call it a GIF, that's fine too. My go-to GIF slash meme? Oh my god. Uh, considering I work in social media, I have like 45. Um, one that I've been using recently is... I, <laughs> I do the thing where like you screenshot a tweet and then you like put a reaction picture next to it. The one I've been using a lot is like if something really bad is happening, so like if the Blazers are down 25 in the first quarter or whatever it is, I'll do like the score and then I'll do this. There's this picture of Wiley Coyote walking off a cliff looking really casual. So I've been using that one a lot. Um, but there are so many. I, I, I can't even keep track. Like I feel like every day there's a new one that I'm using, but... I think that's one of my, my new favorites, I would say. That's awesome. Yeah, we've moved away from crying MJ and from the this is fine, everything is fine, fire memes. So gifts, memes, they are out there. And I always want to get my tips from you because you're the expert. Question number two, who is the most underrated wrestler from your childhood? Who's the most underrated wrestler? Oh, my gosh. Uh, there are so many. Uh, 
I mean, like, even someone like The Rock, I think, is still underrated. Like, I think people forget, you know, obviously he's a mega superstar now, and, you know, people know he was a wrestler, but I think people forget that he was actually a really, really talented wrestler in the ring. Like, people know him for his charisma and all that stuff, but he is honestly one of the best. Um, I don't know that this person is underrated, but I definitely was a huge fan of The Godfather. I think he was a great wrestler. I think his whole persona... Obviously, definitely wouldn't fly these days as a pimp. But, uh, you know, his whole persona, his whole energy uh, as a, like, 13-year-old kid, seeing a guy being able to walk down the ring with, like, 15 new girls every day, that was always very enjoyable for me. So I- I'll go with The Godfather. I actually preferred him as The Good Father from The Right to Censor, but that that's a great answer. What, what ridiculous times we were living in with wrestling. Jeez. Uh, Varun, what's your favorite moment ever on Twitter? Favorite moment ever on Twitter? Like, for me personally, or just in general? Uh, I, in general. I mean, look, like, none of us were really involved in the uh, the Clippers saving Blake, or I'm sorry, saving DeAndre Jordan that day. But, I, I mean, that I consider that one of my favorite Twitter memories. So, it could be you personally. It could be something that you just watched from afar. Just you sitting on Twitter being like, oh, my God, life won't get better than this. I mean, full disclosure, my job is to sit on Twitter. I would estimate I would spend... And like an average of 10 hours on Twitter per day, maybe more. So it's kind of hard for me to pick a moment. Um, I mean, work-wise, like, well, so like, humble brag, I went a little viral pretty recently. That was pretty wild. Um, Is that the Chili's tweet? Is that what you're talking about? That was was the Chili's tweet. That one did pretty well for me, I would say, and it was really fun. Um, Favorite Twitter moment recently? You know, I, I use Twitter personally in kind of a weird way, like, Obviously, I do my own thing where, like, I'll try to tweet out this meme or gif or whatever and try to make jokes. But I actually really like to use Twitter, like, with, like, my coworkers a lot. So I'll, like, say stuff on there that usually makes sense to nobody. But all my coworkers will know what I'm talking about. So there's a lot of stuff there. Like, you know, we'll make fun of someone for old tweets and things like that. I don't have anything specific off the top of my head. But it just feels like things things move so fast that, like, I'm sure there's a million that I'm forgetting off the top of but I can't think of one necessarily. That's fair. Yeah, I asked the wrong question because obviously you spend so much time on Twitter. Uh, that's why I was hoping for for one of these crazy underrated moments. That Chili's tweet is so freaking good. Carmelo Anthony being told that there aren't clubs in Oklahoma City by Russell Westbrook. So, so good. All right, question number four. Hashtag washed question. Who is a musical act that you've tried to get into over the last few years that just was not for you? that I went to. Okay, so I am full disclosure. I'm 29. I, in terms of my music taste and concerts I go to, I definitely act like I'm 23. Uh, <laughs> so I, you know, I, I definitely go to a lot of sh- like, you know, I've I've been to Coachella stuff like that, which even admitting that like makes me sound washed. But um, a musical act that I felt old at. I I went to like. It could be somebody you've listened to, not necessarily been there. Just any musician that you've tried to get into that you're like, nah, this is not for me. Oh, oh, I got a uh, little pump or whatever his name is. That dude, uh, the guy, the, the guy who sings that Gucci. What is that song? That Gucci song or whatever Gucci Yang song. Uh, I listened to that and I looked at a picture of that dude and I was like, yeah, I'm out. I can't do that. Like I, I, I just can't. So I, I'm, I'm pretty out on that. Yeah, that's funny. I, I kind of drew my line similarly. I grew up such a big hip-hop fan, and over the last few years, I've kind of tried to not be like the trapped in the 90s dude that hates on everything, but 
I cannot get into like these last couple years of, of rappers, the the Lil Uzi Verts and the Lil Yachty's and those folks. I just cannot. Well, so see, that's the thing. Like, I actually don't mind Lil Uzi Vert. I actually like Lil Uzi Vert a lot. Like, I enjoy his songs, but a little pumped. Like, that's kind of where I drew the line for myself. I was like, all right, like, even if I'm like, sure, I think there are times where I probably listen to stuff that like some of my younger coworkers will show me, and I'm like all right, I can see this, I'll vibe with this, and, like, maybe part of me is, like, I'm trying to be cool. But I heard that little Pump song, and I was just like, I'm out. And, and the worst part is, like, every once in a while, I'll just catch myself going, like, Gucci gang, Gucci gang, Gucci gang, and I'm like, <laughs> what are you doing? Like, you don't want to, I don't know. You just look at a picture of that, you look like a, I sound like old man yelling at a cloud, but, like, you look at a picture of that dude, and I was just like, I'm out. I can't do this. That's really funny. All right, our last question before we get into NBA talk. Varun, what is your least popular television or movie take? Oh, my least popular movie or television take? Yep. Uh, oh, my God. I have some really bad ones. Um, I would say that... I'm trying to think. What have I watched recently? I didn't... There's been a bunch of stuff that like I've watched that I... I don't... Man, I'm I'm not I'm, I'm I'm giving you bad answers. This is why I need to prep myself. <laughs> uh, I think uh, you know what? Let me get back to you. Let me think about this because I got to think about what shows I've watched recently. Like, just tell me Breaking Bad's not good or something. Come on, like I need a hot take. No, Breaking Bad is definitely good. I agree. Um, I could. Uh, you know what? I'll give you this one. This is not like a hot take by any means, but I think for people like I work with, I would get ridiculed for this. Like, I still watch Friends on like a weekly basis. Like, I, I still watch Friends a lot. It's like my, I don't want to do anything, don't want to think about anything, and I'll put it on. And I really enjoy Friends. And I think, like, a lot of people would be like, that's the whitest show on TV, that's the whitest show that has ever been on TV. And I fully understand that, and I totally get it. That being said, like, I'll still defend Friends. I think, like, season one is pretty underrated in the sense that, like, they tackled a lot of, like, pretty interesting topics, considering it was, like, the 90s. Like, consider this, like, Ross Geller... He, his wife breaks up with him and becomes a lesbian and then he has like has to like deal with that there's all kinds of one of the best episodes i would say is that one episode where they all are like going out or doing stuff and like there's a big division in the group because three of them are really wealthy and three of them are like broke and they start like having fights about that and saying like we can't hang out with each other if it keeps going like this because the, the three rich ones just kind of, like, do whatever they want and, like, pretend like their friends can keep up with them. So, I don't know. I mean, like, I'm not saying it's the deepest show in the world, but it is kind of interesting that they would tackle some of that stuff in such early seasons. There you go. There you have it. It's really funny that that was your answer. I had uh, James Holis, Snotty Drippin' on a couple weeks ago and asked him for his TV hot take, and it was that Friends is the worst show ever. So, I mean, this is why we do what we do. I, like I said, like, like... <laughs> I totally get the criticism. I know it's like six white people living the most absurd life in New York City. I'm sure you can attest to that. But at at the end of the day, it's kind of what I grew up with. And I I still sort of watch it. Dude, you got to have those fallback remote shows that you can put on if you don't feel like watching SportsCenter or anything else. Or if you don't have cable and you could just throw on 13 episodes in a row. I am not judging you for friends. At least not too hard because you're my guest and we got to get through the rest of the show. But uh, thank you for playing. Thank you for your rapid fire questions. Let's get into some NBA stuff, though. I really, I was kind of waiting to get you on for the perfect Blazers time, because as you mentioned earlier, you're a Blazers fan, you know, you're in the, can I say you're in the Pacific Northwest? I mean, I guess that's not the Pacific Northwest. 
Yeah, I'm in I'm in San Francisco, so it's definitely not the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> uh, I was, but I was born in I was born in Corvallis, which is the in, in Oregon, which is the Pacific Northwest. So I am technically from there, and I still go back there to visit my dad. So sure, we can we can call me from the Pacific Northwest. From the Pac Northwest, Varun Post, the the Blazers fan. So I mean, look, the the Blazers are playing good basketball, just as we all expected. Currently in the bottom third in the NBA in offensive rating, and they're the third best team in the league in defensive rating. Either way, it's working. They're fourth in the Western Conference, despite not having Al Farouk Aminu. Varun, how has this season played out so far by your account for the Blazers? It's been like, the, I guess a good way to describe it is like, it's been a the quietest roller coaster you could possibly imagine, in the sense that like, I think if you're a Blazer, if you're a Blazer fan, you're watching every game. I think so. Me personally, like in the past, I, I've been so busy, or in the past couple of years, like I've had a lot of work that I don't get to enjoy a Blazers game by itself, or I don't get to really lock in and watch. This year, I've actually had some time, and I've really got to sit down and like watch every single Blazers game or the majority of them. Um, but it really has been like a quiet roller coaster in the sense that, like, for Blazer fans, it feels like a like the rockiest ride of all time but if you're not a Blazers fan and you're not really paying attention it just seems like everything's going really smoothly I mean the Aminu injury definitely hurt uh he's by far best defender his three points I don't know the numbers off the top of my head but by the eye test like he looks a lot more confident shooting the three like you watch him and it's like oh I feel good about that shot as opposed to years in the past where it's like oh god that's the worst form I've ever seen but it, it works like it it's it's a weird thing like the form doesn't look good, but he does this thing with his wrist where, like, he gets the right rotation on it. So I feel confident about his shot. He felt, he looked like he was confident with his shot. Like I said, best defender on the team by far. And so losing him, it, it really hurt. And I know that they're, like, what, third? You said third defensive rating in the NBA? Yes. I know they're third. I, I mean, there's a lot of factors in that. Like, I think a, lot, a decent amount of people have talked about how they have had the weakest schedule, I believe, so far. They've had, like... The majority of their games at home, um, again, no Aminu, but I think there is a some like some level of smoke and mirrors with this. Uh, don't get me wrong; like I think guys like Evan Turner, guys that even like Shabazz Napier have like really stepped up in terms of individual one-on-one defense. I think you see more effort, certainly from CJ McCollum. Dame is like, you know, I plead the fifth on that. Like I know he's not <laughs> a great defender, and you know, but there is a little bit more effort, and some of the big guys. Um, are really doing a better job defensive rebounding. I, re- I read this really great thing on the comeback about the Blazers' defense, and you know, one thing that was tough for me is like I was trying to understand, like, okay, I get that they're third in defensive rating, but I, when I watch them, it doesn't feel like it. It feels like guys are still getting the basket. Um, the piece on the on the comeback, and I, I, I shouted out the guy yesterday on Twitter, and I forget what his name is, but it was a really excellent piece. It mentioned that they had done a really, really good job of defensive rebounding, basically preventing offensive rebounding, and their opponents are at a really, really low rate of that. And so, like, the second-chance shots are not getting there. And they're doing a good job defending the three-point line, which kind of matches the eye test. You see a lot of guys kind of going around the high pick-and-roll, getting that mid-range jump shot. And as a Blazers fan, you watch that, and they're making a lot of those, but it's not threes. And those are the shots that you want to be forcing. So, again, like, I know there's the strength and, strength and schedule stuff, and, like, I, I, that's stuck in my mind. But if you're looking from the outside, like, it's hard to deny, yeah, like, the defense is better. And that is certainly, I think, some effort things. I think that's some small schematic changes. Like, it's still kind of that skeleton shell where, like, you just want people shooting mid-range jumpers and stuff. But, you know, it is hard to deny. They, they, they definitely have gotten better. For sure. I mean, the, the numbers prove that they've gotten better. 
Alfred Camino shooting 43.3% from three on almost, I'm sorry, that's on two. Nope, 43.3% on three from almost four attempts per game. I mean, whether or not, regardless of how it looks, he's making them or he was making them in the eight games he played in. He'll be crucial for them when he comes back. You know, some of the stuff you're talking about, Damian Lillard, not a great defender. Offensively, I mean, he's almost at 26 points per game. Could be shooting a little bit better, but this is kind of what Dame does. He, he looks great. CJ McCollum is scoring as efficiently as he ever does. What are, who are some of the other guys that have been contributing this year that maybe you weren't expecting to? I mean, I think Yosef Nurkic kind of hasn't been the monster he was after they acquired him. But you got guys, you know, you got guys, as you mentioned, Shabazz Napier, who no one expected is a contributor this year. Pat Connaughton, nobody expected, you know, really playing well. Noah Vonley looking better. Who are some of the unsung heroes you feel on this team who have kind of attributed to them being better so far this year than than we expected them to be? Uh, I would say the unsung heroes are literally the entire team. I don't think anyone really can... You know, you ask the average fan, like, named any Blazers besides Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, and, like, maybe Yusuf Nurkic, and you'll find it very tough for them to get an answer or to get an answer out of them. Um, I mean, like, you know, again, I'm looking through the lens of, like, I watch a lot of Blazers games, so I'm going to, like, basically shout out every single one of them. But honestly, like, a lot of them have played a lot better in spurts. Uh, And, like, so, for example, Pat Connaughton, like, has looked really good on offense, has shot the three really, really well, has, you know, you see the three points and then, like, but then every once in a while there'll be this play where, like, they... The, def- the defender has locked in on, okay, Pat's going to shoot a three, he'll give a pump fake, he'll get into the lane, he'll lift some, like, confidence in the lane, he'll shoot a floater, he'll get to the basket. They run some, they run him off some back screens once in a while, like, he's a pretty athletic guy. I remember he set the, like, he has the, this is the most random thing, I think he has the NBA record for vertical at the NBA combine of all time, which is, like, a very, very odd record, but he holds it, I guess. Um, so they'll run him off back screens, he cuts the basket fairly well, um, Defense, again, like, kind of an issue. Like, he's a little bit lost, but, you know, not a lot you can expect there. Um, Shabazz Napier, like, has been kind of a revelation. I think he was a little hurt last year, but the Blazers have been going to this, like, three-guard lineup with him, Damon, CJ. And, again, I know Zach Lowe sort of mentioned it on the podcast, on his podcast. Like, so it was, like, sort of smoke and mirrors. And, like, realistically, if you think about some of the better teams and you're running out Dame, CJ, and Shabazz Napier on defense, it's kind of like it makes you shudder. It makes you think like, oh god, like they would get destroyed. I think Shabazz is honestly kind of an underrated defender. I know he's small. I 100% understand that. And he does get beat around the basket at times, but he does a really good job of anticipating. Like He's a lot quicker than I think he gets credit for, and he like beats guys to spots. So one-on-one, like if they ISO him and he's you know getting back down or someone's trying to go one-on-one against him, he'll beat guys to the spot, which is pretty interesting. Um, Vonley has looked really, really good on defense, again, in spurts, but for the past couple of games, like, he defended Porzingis last night, and I know Porzingis had, I think, 22, but a lot of that wasn't against Noah Vonley, and even if it was, like, Vonley was forcing him into really, really tough shots. Um, I was sort of joking around with on Twitter and, like, with some of my friends, and I was like, what? Because, you know, Vonley starts sometimes, starts his thing where, like, he'll just, like, put anyone out there, like, on any given night, and... I sort of asked my friends, like, what value does Noah Vonley bring, you know, like, on offense and just generally? Because, you know, in the past, like, when the season started and last year, when he was out there, I was just sort of like, he's a body. Uh, he had that monster 18-rebound game against Memphis, I believe. And then ever since then, I've sort of been watching him, and his defense has gotten really, really good. So, you know, that has certainly helped. 
Um, I mean, I don't know. Those are the ones that kind of jump out to me. I could probably go on and talk about every single place player, <laughs> but I don't want to bore your listeners that much. But, you know, honestly, like, at the end of the day, like, those guys have really stepped up. The problem for me is, you know, even though those guys have stepped up and have done well, at the end of the day, we're still talking about, like, Pat Connaughton and Noah Vonley. And when you look at other teams, like, I think Haralbop sort of called it out. Like, he, he sort of said, like, besides Damon CJ, like, this is kind of the worst roster he's ever seen talent-wise. And it's kind of hard to deny. Like, I know, like, as a Blazers fan, my instinct is like, no, but this guy's playing well. This guy's playing well. But at the end of the day, it's still, like, Pat Connaughton, Noah Vonley, Shabazz Napier. Like, these aren't necessarily guys who should be playing a ton of minutes in today's NBA. Like, who knows? They're playing well. But, you know, those guys have really stepped up. I give them a lot of credit. But at the end of the day, that's sort of, as a Blazers fan, why I worry. It's, like, still those guys. Right. That, that's a really strong point. But, I mean, at the same time, you know, Noah Vonley is in, what, year four, and he came out as the youngest rookie in his draft class. He was expected to make some progress. And I don't yeah. think I don't think he's being forced into a role where he's being asked to do more than he's capable of. I think he's coming on very nicely, being able to, you know, play minutes with Ed Davis and play minutes with Nurkic. I think the guys to be a little more worried about her, the, the Evan Turners on this team who, what are you even getting from him? I mean, do you think Evan Turner is, is going to last on this team this year? I know it's not like it's a contract that's easily flippable. Well, just what do you make of that situation where, you know, he's one of the highest paid players on the team. He isn't used very much and he hasn't been very effective. Do you think this is a problem? Are they kind of masking him and not allowing it to be a problem? Well, not that I want to spend too much time talking about Evan Turner, but real quickly, you know, what, what's your take on his status with this team this year? Well, look, I'll say this. He's definitely not going anywhere because that contract is monstrous and nobody's going to take it on unless you're like, unless you send it with like four first round draft picks and a bottle of whiskey or something like that. <laughs> um, and it'd have to be like blue label. Uh, but, you know, it's funny. Evan Turner actually in the first like four or five games, I think I said this on Twitter, so you can go through my tweets and send it to freezing cold takes. But, uh, he was actually one of our best players in the beginning of the season. Like he looked really, really great. Like <clears throat> facilitate, like defending, like was rotating onto guys as big as six eleven, playing guy, like stopping guys as short as like six two, six three, with the kind of speed that you only find in the NBA. He was um, really doing an excellent job of distributing the ball. He sort of regressed back to old Evan Turner, where it's and I swear to God, you should listen to this audio while you watch Evan Turner. It's catch at the top of the key. Two dribbles into the middle, spin move, step back, fade away, 15-footer. That's his go-to move. And it's not a bad move, but it's just his go-to move. It's either that or he's going to back down someone to the post who's a little bit smaller, go right jump hook, which is, like again, effective. But those are his two go-to moves. And you can see when he gets the ball, if the first option off a screen isn't there, he's going into his move, he's going into his, like, his go-to stuff. So it's tough. I don't, like, masking, like... You kind of have to play a guy that you're paying that much. He does do a good job of facilitating. There are, like, strengths. But, again, it is really hard to justify with so many millions of dollars going to him. And, and, and you're finding, like, little things like that. It's that same thing. Like, yeah, he does this well, but does he do it 20 or $18 million worth well? It's like, not really. But you kind of have to find the silver lining in that cloud. Sure, sure. That makes sense. Just a couple more Blazers questions before we move on. First one's a little more fun. What were your thoughts on our boy CJ McCollum trash-talking Evan Fournier? I mean, <laughs> I laughed. I also understand that it's a little problematic at the same time. Um, you know, like calling someone out but for, like, a French reputation, I suppose. But it was good. I mean, you know, 
in watching it in the moment, it was really fun. I had never really like. It's funny. Dave and CJ are really good trash talkers on Twitter, or they're like pretty. They're like pretty good follows considering they're star players. Right. Um, I thought it was funny. I can't wait for them to play again. Like, I, it definitely got in Evan Fournier's head. If you watch the rest of that game, like, he was definitely, definitely shook. He was missing layups. He was like not shooting threes well, and he was like a just completely flustered. So it worked, which was cool. Um, at the end of the day, like, I always support trash talking as long as it's like not too bad, and I don't necessarily consider this too bad i do understand it was a little problematic but i you know it was it was fun to watch for sure but i mean besides the problematic thing he told him he's soft like crepes i mean that's got to be the worst 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 trash talk in nba history i don't even know that i don't know what i would do it's surprising that fournier reacted the way he did and wasn't like dude you're lame you look like stefan urkel you know what i mean like how do you how do you trash talk like that to somebody and tell them that they're soft like crepes it's just it is, it is definitely the most, like, C.J. McCollum trash talk of all time. Like, he's not going to go after your mom. He's not going to go after your family. He's going to, like, find some delicacy from your country and, like, make fun of you based on that. Like, you know, the guy is obviously has aspirations to be a journalist. He has aspirations to be in the media after he retires, which is very clear. Like, working with the Players' Tribune. I think he's done stuff for, I believe, Yahoo as well. So I don't think he can sell his reputation too much on the court. So he's going to go with the, the most eloquent trash talk possible. Fair enough. All right, last Blazers question. Right now, we're fourth in the Western Conference. I know Zach Lowe and Jeff Van Gundy were kind of talking about home road splits, but I don't know that the Blazers have been any worse off on the road just looking at their stats. I don't know if that's more to do with the schedule or or just them not being, you know, any worse on the road, but where do you see this team being, you know, when the season ends? We're a quarter of the way through, and so far, they're better than I think people could have expected. Do you think that this is sustainable? Do you see them dropping a little bit? See them getting better. I mean, wh- where do you see this team being in a few months? I mean, look, like, I know right now you look at the record 13-8, and eight, I believe, and you think, like, all right, this team is pretty good, maybe a little bit of regression. I definitely see, like, I, as you could probably tell if you are still listening at this point, like, I definitely am on the pessimistic side. Uh, I generally am. I think every fan always looks at, like, the good and the bad, and I look at the bad a little too much, but... I think there will be some regression. I, I don't think that's a question, especially if you've, been, if you've been watching this team a lot. They're still really young. There's still a lot of guys out there trying to figure out their roles. Like, you know, I sort of raved about, like, Pat Connaughton, Noah Vonley, Yusuf Nurkic, like, those guys. Like, they've all played well, but they've all played well in spurts. And I worry that, like, as the tape um, is, like, as the tape builds up on these guys and, you know, the, the coaches and other coaching staffs, like, take a look at it and start to figure out these guys' games, like, Option one's not going to be there. Like Pat Connaughton's not going to be able to catch and shoot open threes. Uh, Noah Vonley's not going to be able to cut baseline when Yusuf Nurkic catches off a pick and roll and get open dunk. So my question is sort of like, all right, now that you have option one taken away, like what's going to be option two? And that's going to be the biggest question for a lot of these young guys, especially for some of them coming up on contract extensions, coming up on like looking for big money. Um, you know, they're going to have to prove that. They're going to have to prove that in the second half of the season, big time. So I. You know, at this point, it's hard to it's hard for me not to say that they're not going to be in the playoff race. They're definitely going to be there, but expect my guess would be expect a little regression. I would love to be wrong. I would I'd be thrilled to be wrong. I'd love them to be like ten games over five hundred to end the season. But you know, I do see them sort of finishing at that forty one and forty one mark, kind of like they did last year. Fair enough. All right, let's move on. Let's kind of explore the rest of the NBA very quickly. I don't think we need to talk about the Warriors too much, so I'll ask you a yes or no question. Is the Western Conference still the Warriors Conference? So let me give you a little story. Uh, I Obviously, I work in San Francisco, and I work with a lot of Warriors fans. And 
you know, I'll, I'll say this. Like, I think on Twitter, Warriors fans get a lot of, they don't get enough credit for being the fans that they are. Like, they're good fans. Like, they really, really are. I think people remember have a short memory and don't remember, like, the Jason Richardson years, the, like, the Monte Ellis years, even going back, like, you know, so many years of just poor basketball. And you hear these stories of those guys going to every single, like, going to every single game no matter what, selling out that place no matter how bad the team was. Um, and, and the fans are really, really smart basketball fans, at least the ones I interact with. Um, in the past, like, two weeks, I've heard, like, literally, like, just, like, people throwing things and arguing and being so upset about the fact that, like, Jordan Bell is not getting enough minutes. <laughs> like, things like that. Like, that is, like, the definition of, like, rich people problems. So, like, yes, to answer your question, like, it's absolutely still the league. Like, you know, they still have Steph, they still have KD, they still have Draymond, they still have Clay Thompson. Like, it's an absurd, absurd team. Like, sure, they lost to the Kings last night without their two best players. But, like, they're obviously just, like, taking off games at this point, And, like, they don't really care. They won't really, you know, they won't really start revving the engine until, like, probably February. And at some point, they're definitely going to rip off, like, 20 to 25 games in a row. So it's definitely still there. Those are really funny points. Actually, I really wanted to pick up Jordan Bell in fantasy, and I was like, "This guy doesn't play any minutes. What am I going to pick him up for?" Give this guy. He absolutely does not. And much this, like much to the anger of people here, like it's amazing. I mean, that whole we don't have to talk about this point too much, but the whole like Bulls trading the pick away and that like the Warriors getting Jordan Bell, like the minute you trade a pick away to a team who's done a really really good job of building you know, like, building their, their their team around, like, star players and understanding talent and developing guys, like, all of a sudden, like, you just... You shouldn't trade things like that to good teams. Like, it's almost like, here, Spurs, take this extra pick, and, like, every time they pick someone, everyone's like, oh, shit, that person's probably going to be good. Excuse me if I can't curse, but... You can. There's probably like, oh, my God, that guy's going to be good. Just like, what are you doing? Don't, don't trade the picks to good teams. I could probably do the Jordan Bell trade podcast episode on its own because it seems like the only people that night that didn't realize how terrible that was were the Chicago Bulls front office. I mean, if you watched like one NCAA tournament game, you knew Jordan Bell was solid, an under the radar prospect who'd probably be fine in the NBA. And then he goes to the perfect freaking team for him where he could be this small ball big who just uses athleticism and his length. Yeah, I mean, the Bulls, the Bulls are a joke. It makes it easier to be a Knicks fan, I guess, that there's another big market team that's kind of a joke in the front office. You're right, though. We shouldn't spend too much more time talking about this. Let's talk about another team, though, that we had high expectations for out west coming into the season. The Oklahoma City Thunder, kind of uh, underwhelming so far this season. Do you think they have any shot at living up to the preseason expectations of them being a contender? Or is this just a flawed roster that's been put together here? It sort of depends on, like, what what you mean by like a preseason contender like i think anyone this year if you call them a preseason contender basically what that means is like they could make the western conference finals against the warriors or in the west at least like that to me is the definition of a preseason contender like i don't think anyone is getting out of the west besides the warriors like quite frankly like sure maybe the rockets have a shot like they've been shooting threes like at an insane rate to be quite honest i haven't got to watch the rockets a lot this year um especially after chris paul went down and came back, but I read the stat recently that they made like 95 threes in the past five games, like makes, which is absolutely insane. So like maybe if they just turn on the Jets, like they'll be able to pass the Warriors. But in my mind, if 
if, if we're defining contender as like someone who can get to the Western Conference Finals against the Warriors and maybe get a game or two, yeah, I think they can. I mean, like, there's so many teams in the past, like even the Miami Heat, uh, that the, the, the LeBron D Wade teams that started off just like terrible. Like this, this stuff takes time, and I think everyone knows that. Like, it takes time to gel. Now, is are there serious problems? Is there issues with like Russell Westbrook being at point guard and not being able to be MVP Russ? I think Kevin O'Connor wrote like a really, really nice piece about like how, yeah, it might take time, but like there are serious issues here, especially with like Russ being the ball hog, not ball hog. I don't like really like using that term, but you know, Russ, Russ trying to control the pace and like control kind of the, the way the offense is flowing. And then they're ending up on a lot of like ISO ball situations, which is not good. And it's honestly kind of boring to watch. So Sure, I think they're talented enough. I, I think a lot of people have sort of said on Twitter, like some of the more in the know people have said, like they definitely envision the Thunder making some kind of trade, which could certainly help them. But I think they could get there. It just it'll take time, and maybe it'll take more time than we think. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. I'm conflicted with this team because I just don't see how it all works out to maximize everybody. And sure, you know, like you mentioned with the Miami Heat, there's going to be sacrifice when you have that many guys that need the ball to be effective. I just don't know that that at this stage in some of these players' careers, they're ready to make these changes, especially, I mean, Carmelo Anthony and Paul George are both up for free agency at the end of this year, potentially, if Melo opts out. I don't know that's going to work out. I'm rooting for it just so, you know, we have interesting stuff to watch in the NBA besides the Warriors steamrolling everybody. Time will tell. Varun, the big story this week so far, I mean, Blake Griffin just went down for seemingly a long time today, today with an injury. The other big story before that happened, David Fisdale gets fired in Memphis. Was LeBron right? Was David Fisdale the fall guy? Did, did he deserve to get fired here? Not that we ever think anybody deserves to lose their job. What, what did you make of the David Fisdale firing? It was weird. I mean, I'm not obviously plugged in at all to like Memphis Grizzlies Twitter or Memphis Grizzlies news <clears throat> as much as like I'm sure other people are. Uh, but it was weird. I mean, like when he was hired, like all the smart people on Twitter were like, this is a good hire. He obviously was an assistant on the Miami Heat teams with LeBron, and like he obviously had done a really good job over there. Um, it's pretty shocking. Obviously, like I think on one hand, it's smart for an organization if there was if the if it's true that there was tension between him and Marcus Gasol, like it's obviously smart to go with a player over a coach because talent is much harder to find than a coach is. That being said, like I was surprised to find out that Marcus Gasol is turning. 33 in February or January, I think. So he's definitely older. And, like, it's tough. I think he is the ball guy in the sense that, like, there are so many other issues there. Like, the roster's not great. A lot of injuries. Mike Conley goes down. Chandler Parsons last year has not been healthy. So I totally get it. You want to keep your players happy, and you don't want to, like, you know, screw that part up where they're, like, demanding for trades, and all of a sudden you're not getting good deals on whatever uh, if you need to trade them. But at the same time, like, it's never going to be fair, and I, I do think he's sort of the fall guy in the situation. Yeah, it really seems that way. I mean, it, it's tough to judge a team that's banged up and not complete. I mean, this team's supposed to be about Mark Gasol, Mike Conley, and with Conley hurt and Gasol being hurt even over the last you know year or two, I think it's it's pretty difficult to kind of put this all on one person. You look at some of the guys that are playing big minutes in Memphis. I mean, you're seeing uh, Mario Chalmers, you're seeing Dylan Brooks, you're seeing James Ennis just guys that you wouldn't think are, are playing big minutes on a successful NBA team. And then to bring that to a coach who's kind of a young coach who I think overachieved last year, had has a very good pedigree. I just, you you brought up the key point here. Apparently he didn't see eye to eye with Marcus Gasol. 
at least that that's the speculation. It's just it's interesting to kind of commit to to a couple of older guys in a conference that isn't really yours for the taking. You don't really fit in anywhere near the top. I don't see how this situation gets any better for Memphis. I mean, I look at David Fisdale being out there, and I think he's feasibly better than at least a third of the active coaches in the NBA. So it, it was surprising. I don't know how things get better in Memphis. I don't know that firing your coach makes it better, but I guess I guess if you weren't really going anywhere, maybe you just try to make your, your star player happy. I, I don't really know how that works, but yeah, I, I think... Do you think they start shopping Marcus all around? I think it would make sense. I mean, it, it's really tough given that they, they've given out these contracts to Gasol and Conley over the last couple of off-seasons to kind of try and break that up right now. But, I mean, you look around the Western Conference and I just I don't see any opening for Memphis to, to really get in and be competitive. I mean, I don't even know if they can make the playoffs moving forward over these next couple of years with how competitive the conference is and how... I don't I don't know the right way to put this, how much they can't really depend on their star players staying healthy at this stage. So if they could get back picks, I mean, Marcus Gasol, when he's healthy, is one of the best centers in the NBA. I'm sure he has good value still. They, they could probably get something back for him. And if you're selling him, you got to sell Mike Conley too, I suppose. So it, it's a tough situation for them, which just kind of makes the firing all the more crazy. It's not like he was there for that long. This was only his second season with the team. It just... It doesn't look good for this organization, especially after they got rid of Dave Yeager, who I thought did a really good job with the team, too. You know, this kind of brings us back to Marc Gasol. Is he a coach killer? Is he going to get hit with that rep? Everybody loves Marc Gasol, so he's not, you know, he's not a favorable victim for, for that kind of reputation, I guess. But, I mean, the writing's on the wall here. Yeah, I, I, I have a feeling that he's not going to be labeled as a coach killer by any means. Um, but, you know, that did get his coach fired, so there's that. Facts, yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it's a tough situation over there. Big facts. Speaking of tough situations, one of the last teams I wanted to talk about here, or maybe the hottest team in the NBA right now, Cleveland Cavaliers have reeled off eight straight wins as we're recording this. I don't know how good this team's going to be this year. We were panicking over them over the first you know month of the season just because they don't defend and nobody could be that surprised about it. Defense has come up a little stronger since. They've been shooting the ball well. They're, they're doing some good things. I mean, is this the Cavs team we're going to see through the rest of the year? Do you think this Cavs team is good is the question that I've been asking lately. What, what are your thoughts on, on LeBron's Cavs this year? I mean, I haven't got to watch a ton of the Cavs recently. I got to watch a little bit of the game yesterday against the 76ers, and LeBron and Wade like really put it to Joel Embiid. Uh, I, I saw some of the highlights on Instagram, some of the, some of the highlights on Twitter, and like, they really put on a, like LeBron has put on a show like every single night. Like he has been unbelievable. Like it's almost like he wants to win another MVP. Shocking, <laughs> uh, but he's been absolutely unbelievable on a night-to-night basis. Even though the team has been pretty awful defensively, as you mentioned, um, I don't want to call this a Derrick Rose solution. But ever since he's not been on the team, they've been better. Uh, but it's definitely not a correlate, like a, a causation type thing. But I don't know. I I, I think. I, I can't give you an answer like, is this going to be the team? I sure hope it's going to be the team. I, I know a lot of people are saying like they're sick of Warriors-Cavs in the finals. And it's, like I said, it's, it's pretty obvious that I, the Warriors are at least the heavy favorite to make the finals. Do we want to see this round like round four, year four of this? Maybe not. But at the same time, like you want to see LeBron going for a title. There's nothing better than watching LeBron in a... In, deep in the playoffs or in the finals like it, he's amazing to watch he's an amazing guy and we only get so many more years of him. so do i want to watch lebron in the finals absolutely do i hope this team 
like, do I think this is going to be the team that gets in there? I sure hope so. I mean, I definitely have that, that the, the big elephant in the room over there is that pick. I mean, I know that, that he might leave and I know they want to hold on to the pick in case he leaves because it'd be kind of a waste. But, you know, if they want to make one more title run, I think I heard this on the Bill Simmons podcast where they were saying like, you don't, or maybe it was Zach Lowe, you don't often get the chance to win a title. And like, I know you want to save the pick for the future, and I know you want to build the build for the future. But if you have a chance to win a title, like with the title, that gives you like three or four years of a grace period, especially if you do it over the Warriors. So, I'm I, initially I was sort of in the camp of like, don't trade the pick, like it's smart, balance it out. Like if LeBron leaves, you have options. But at this point, like it's LeBron, man. Like, if he wins another title there, like Cleveland's happy for many years. LeBron is happy. Maybe he stays. Who knows? I I, I figure you just kind of got to go all in. This is the team you got. Like, go all in. Yeah, that's that's really well put. That's a great point. I have no idea what they should do either because the writing seems to be on the wall for LeBron and the Cavs. They had an ugly offseason with uh, all the David Griffin stuff going on, and then the Kyrie thing happens, and now you look at this team that's so different from last year's team, but... Again, you know, you just you put LeBron on a team, and especially in the Eastern Conference, it's hard to not see that team getting to the finals. I'm not betting against them. I, I, I just I, I know Boston's off to a great start. I sure they're going to have a fine season. I'm sure they're going to be good all year. You know, your Washingtons and Torontos, and maybe the Bucks will continue to surge. I just don't see how anybody in the East can get past LeBron doing what LeBron does when the playoffs come around. Which I'm really glad you brought up. You know, we really got to appreciate this for as long as it lasts. You can't afford to be a hater when you're watching, you know, once-in-a-lifetime greatness, which, again, I think that kind of applies to the Warriors, where we just haven't seen team dominance the way the Warriors dominate. We haven't seen a single player dominate the way LeBron dominates, and the fact that he's still doing this in Season 15 is just out of control. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, sure, Michael Jordan was was great until his last, you know, games with the Bulls. We shouldn't count the Wizards games. I, I don't know what that was, but LeBron just doesn't slow down and it's hard to see him not taking whatever team he's on to the finals I know it's still uncertain what this team's going to do long term yes they have that Nets pick that they could trade and probably get a really solid piece for they haven't been fully healthy yet this year you know you still have Isaiah Thomas potentially coming back if things don't work out for this Cleveland team and I guess workout means winning a championship what do you think the top potential destination for LeBron would be moving forward which is a guessing game Varun so no pressure uh, well, number one is Portland. <laughs> Donuts there, uh, Blue Star specifically. Uh, the weather is really nice. I know the prices of the housing around there has gone a little bit up, but I promise, LeBron, you would love Portland. It's a beautiful, beautiful city. That's why. That's why they should have traded for Melo this past off season. I don't know why they didn't just do that and and cut to the chase. I know. I wish they. Had. Part of me still wishes they have, but then you watch them on the Thunder, and you're like, I. It would have been so much iso ball. I just don't even know. No, uh, where's LeBron going to end up? I mean. Again, we're just guessing here. It's funny. I'll say this. I don't actually know, obviously, but, like, I think the Lakers thing, like, doesn't make as much sense as people make it out to be. Like, that team is young, and, like, they're not that good. Like, I know, obviously, like, putting LeBron on any team makes them, like, significantly, significantly, significantly better. Like, this is not science. But... It's. I mean, the the one the one city that's been floated out is the Philly thing, and that's been really really interesting. Like, especially the way Ben Simmons is playing, especially the way Joel Embiid's playing. It, the fact that Joel Embiid is healthy, and a lot of those other rotation guys, like you know, I know JJ Redick is like on a one year contract, but he's playing really well for them. Um, uh, 
Robert Covington, one of my favorite players going back to my daily fantasy days. He's been playing outstanding. Like, that team, like, makes sense in a way for LeBron. Um, maybe not, the, like, with the Ben Simmons thing, but, like, I don't know. Like, it's just kind of – if LeBron's goal is to, like, win titles and be on a team where, like, they have that potential for at least four or five more years, like, that would be the team. And it would kind of make some sense. Now, I don't know if he would ever go to Philly. I don't know if Philly fans would necessarily embrace him, but it would be interesting. It would be amazing if the Sixers wind up two years removed from Hinkie with LeBron James in town playing with Embiid and Ben Simmons. And look, we didn't even bring up Markel Fultz, who I'm not willing to write off. Another uh, Pacific Northwest guy like yourself. Uh, I, I don't know that it makes sense. Like you brought up the Embiid thing. I just don't know that it works. I don't know that you can really put him with a lumbering center, which, look, I'm, I'm sorry, I mean the, the Simmons thing. And then you get Embiid, who is kind of a little bit of a lumbering center. I know he's very agile, and I know he moves around. I know he could even space the floor. I just, that that would be my main concern with them offensively is, is the spacing. But, I mean, like you said, this is a team that looks like they're set up for success for the next however many years. You know, they haven't even come close to, to hitting stride, to being grown-ups. There's probably still a bunch of guys on the team that can't legally buy beer, so... I don't know that that's necessarily the best fit. I don't know what the best fit is. There obviously isn't a great one since we keep throwing the Sixers and the Lakers out there. But uh, good takes, good stuff. Portland would actually be a great fit. I, I think he'd look good good on that team. I, I think any any fan of any team could make the argument that LeBron would be a good fit for their team. Um, I mean, I, I do actually think that would be a good fit for the Blazers. But, you know, LeBron would fit on any team. It's, it's kind of a, a silly discussion at that point. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, Varun, this was so much fun. I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast. Guys, give Varun a follow on Twitter if you're not already following him. He's at Varun Bose. That's V-A-R-O-O-N-B-O-S-E, at Varun Bose. Varun, before I let you go, you got any plugs you want to give, any shout-outs you want to give? I have no plugs. Uh, if you follow my Twitter account, I greatly appreciate it. That's very, very kind of you, and I, I worry for your mental being, but I appreciate it regardless. Um, Jared, I wanted to say thank you to you. I know we've done this. We did this a long time ago. We were doing it sort of for fun, but it's really, really great to see you still doing it and still crushing it, to be honest. So I appreciate you having me on. This is so much fun. I'm happy to come on anytime you want to. I'm definitely going to take you up on that. I'm hoping your Blazers have success, and uh, I appreciate the praise. Again, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I don't know that I'd be doing this if it wasn't for you getting me started. So Mutual respect, mutual praise. Hopefully we could wind up doing a Bro Jackson draft again at some point together. Hopefully, man. Those are so much fun. I see other people doing them now, and all I can think is, ah, we were doing those like four or five years ago. Ah, man. But it's it's great to see you doing well and uh, continue, to continue with work. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks for coming on, and uh, thank you guys for listening. Take care. Long range, I've been killing on the blacktop. AI cross, sunning rappers like a backdrop. Clock ticking, I'm the one, take the last shot. Couple chairs for him, got your shorty like a mascot. Never ask, I'm just feeling what that ass got. These half knots at my neck like an ascot. Uh, 100 grand up in my dash hop with more K's than Dash got. You living in a glass box, I'm on point, Steve Nash. Destroy your track like I'm Hancock. Now I'm pulling tops down like a rag top.